Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back, everyone. I am excited to introduce you to Cristobal Ramon. He's a migration policy expert. Well, this week, President Biden announced a new policy to deal with the continuing surge of migrants appearing at our southern border with Mexico. The initiative will expand Title 42 expulsion provisions started under the Trump administration, but also provide a parole system to eligible migrants from select countries in the Caribbean and or the Caribbean and Latin America. Now, the announcement left many frustrated on both sides of the Immigration debate. So where does that leave the country when it comes to comprehensive reform? Well, let's find out. uh, Cristobal Ramon is joining us, and he joins us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Hello, sir, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be on. I'm glad that you're on. Let me tell you something. This has been discussed for so many decades that it's really frustrating to so many Americans. As you know, probably, uh, many times we talk about immigration and it just goes to the wayside. We never seem to get it all done. Will we ever get it done? I think, frankly, um, when you're looking at immigration and the long-term challenges, Uh, particularly when it comes to the border, we need to have a policy that's actually far more flexible. You hear a lot about people saying we need to fix the border permanently. But there's I think there's some real challenges that you see with the border, because if you saw like in the 1980s through the 1990s, through the early 2000s, you had a lot of single uh, Mexican men who were the majority of immigrants who were coming into the United States uh, seeking work. And around 2014, we saw a pivot towards Central American families and unaccompanied children. And now we're seeing a new form of migration where you're seeing individuals coming from South America, traveling through Central America and up to the U.S.-Mexico border. And each of these different stages, I think, requires a different kind of immigration policy. And so I think the thing is, how can you have a flexible immigration policy for the border uh, that can address and prepare us to address what's going to be changing? So much of the immigration debate around the border is just saying we're going to stop them from coming here. In reality, that really doesn't address the fact that people are coming for different reasons and they respond to different incentives. So, you know, there's a reason why it's hard to address the borders, because, you know, migration to the border has evolved over the last few decades. And you need to be thinking in terms of how is the best way to do this? And I think one thing to add on to this point, though, and I think it is good that we're seeing this in the hemispheres, countries in the Western Hemisphere need to assist the United States with managing migration to the U.S.-Mexico border and managing migration in the whole region. 
Um, and I'm happy to talk about sort of how that's being done over the last year or so. But it's not just simply the United States' job to manage migration. I, I think uh, the countries in, uh, in the region really need to pitch in as well. You know, you are a graduate of McAllister College, and um, of course, you were able to get your Master's of Arts in International Affairs program at the George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. My question for you is that you've been watching this for a long time. You know exactly what is happening. You know when they are trying to tell us, we're going to do this, we're going to do this new thing, and it never seems to come to fruition. Um, here you were in school making sure that you, you fought for this. You wanted to know all about it. You wanted to help in some way when it comes to international affairs. Tell me where you're at now. Do you believe we will ever get to the point where it all makes sense to everyone, those that are coming, those that are leaving? And that's something I want to talk to you about, those that are leaving. And I'm not talking about those trying to get to their countries. I'm talking about Americans who are now talking about flight, right? Saying, hey, I'm just going to go. I'm not going to go to all these other countries that we're connected to. I'm going to go to Italy. I'm going to go to France, that sort of thing. So tell me if you have been pleased with the uh, changes that we are seeing today when it comes to migration. So I think um, at the hemispheric level, and first of all, thank you for acknowledging McAllister. I uh, love my time there, love Minnesota. I'm originally from Los Angeles and uh, uh, Minnesota definitely made me feel at home, so I appreciated my time there. Um, awesome. But, you know, more seriously, you know, I think I think the thing is this point on regional migration approaches um, is needed because, you know, if you're looking at the arrival of Venezuelans uh, to the U.S.-Mexico border that you saw in significant numbers this past year or the prior year of Haitian migrants um, that were coming up from South America and same with Venezuelans who were coming up from South America – um, that has implications not just for the United States, but has implications for uh, Colombia and Panama because people are crossing into um, Panama from, uh, from the Darien Gap and, and crossing into Panama. And those individuals are crossing through Central America and are crossing into uh, Mexico, which I think has certainly seen um, this kind of migration as a, as a major priority to manage and address. Um, and then those folks are coming up to the United States. And I think what you started seeing this past year is an effort to really try to do a regional approach on this. In June of last year, there was uh, the Los Angeles Declaration on Migration and Protection, which is uh, was signed by approximately 20 countries, including the United States. And, and the whole idea is that you need to use a multitude of tools, different pathways and different tools to be able to manage this and that each country needs to be contributing to the way that it needs to ensure that you're not having these large-scale migration events that can really destabilize the region. Um, and there were some deliverables that were outlined. There were some solid policy proposals um, uh, outlined for this that I think are a good way of thinking about it. Um, you know, for instance, trying to find ways that if people are seeking protection in the United States, maybe there are other countries that can offer um, their own systems to be able to assist with that. Um, you know, a lot of these folks who are coming to the United States or going to Mexico, for instance, um, are just looking for better economic opportunities. So how can um, the United States, Canada, Costa Rica, Mexico, and other countries in the region use their work programs for migrants, particularly temporary ones, uh, to give these folks a little bit of a chance to work, make some money, come back, and sort of do the circular migration that you've been seeing um, a little bit with, uh, with some of our programs here in the United States, the H-2A uh, seasonal agricultural program being one of them. But this is sort of the bottom line really is, like, let's use different tools to take pressure 
off of different waters and people giving them more legal pathways to do that. So I think that that is really an important step forward because, you know, no one country in the hemisphere should be dealing with this. You need to be working at it collectively. And so I think this foreign policy component is going to be something that's really important to do that. Um, really, you know, when looking at the United States, uh, you know, I, I think the fundamental problem is that we are incapable of having a forward-thinking immigration policy. And that doesn't have to just simply do with the border. It has to do with legal migration. Folks who are coming into work or reunite with their families. We just don't have uh, an immigration system that can respond quickly. And, you know, the last two major reforms of our immigration system uh, were 1986 and 1990, um, and you had an additional reform in 1996. But, you know, these are different reforms of different elements of the immigration system. But, you know, uh, think about where technology was, you know, where the home computer was in 1990, and now you have smartphones that are so much more advanced. Uh, that computer from 1990 is our immigration system. And I think we need to update it. We need to get past a lot of the partisan politics to really think through how do you have a forward-facing immigration policy that can respond to the different challenges that we have with immigration? Not just simply at the border, but, you know, like I said, with other areas of uh, immigrants to the United States. Um, I'm not, you know, I think a split Congress doesn't give me hope that this is going to happen. Right. Uh, but we need to do something. Uh, it, it's been far too long. Well, President Joe Biden uh, this past Thursday unveiled this new policy that you're talking about that will accept 30,000 migrants a month. Some people took a deep breath and had to exhale on that because they feel as though many that I've talked to, 30,000 migrants is big. That is a lot per month, don't you think? Um, not really. If you're considering the number of individuals who are actually arriving at the U.S.-Mexico border in you know, significant numbers, uh, this is a drop in the bucket. Um, and I think what's important is 30,000 is the number, but what's key is this pathway. The people who can come here, Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguan, and Haitians, mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. to get a sponsor in the country who can sponsor them, and these individuals need to fly to the United States. So it is 30,000, but the question is, can you get that sponsor? And the other important thing is they, they're getting a humanitarian parole, which is a two-year temporary protection. They're not here permanently. And I think that's also the other important thing is that they're not going to be here indefinitely. Um, And so that is the other key component. What's also important, too, though, is that, you know, on top of this 30,000, Mexico has agreed to take 30,000 individuals uh, expelled under the Title 42 policy um, Mm -hmm. that you mentioned in the introduction uh, for these nationalities. That is really important because up until this point, we really couldn't send these folks back because we didn't have diplomatic relationships with these countries. And there's obviously questions about sending people back to a country. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. you like Cuba or Nicaragua at that? Uh, your authoritarian regimes. Um, Mexico saying, we're fine with this, send back 30,000, is pretty significant. So, yes, there are 30,000 that are coming through this pathway, but the question is how many people are going to be able to, you know, fulfill the requirements to come here, and at the same time, that 30,000 number is also, you know, you're going to be sending those back to Mexico. So that's the key component where this policy, um, you know, you kind of alluded this in the beginning, doesn't quite satisfy both sides of the debate. It kind of does, you know, it's trying to do two things at the same time, and they, they describe it as sticking carrot um, to have a little bit more of a legal pathway so people aren't coming to the border. But folks who are coming to the border will be expelled uh, to Mexico in those numbers. Um, and it is worth noting that um, uh, President, Mexican President uh, Lopez Obrador agreed uh, or is at least more open to receiving more individuals expelled under Title 42. So um, there might be a lot more individuals that the United States might be able to send back to Mexico. Okay, so tell me how the Department of Homeland Security and Justice, I know they released some details recently um, of a plan to impose a new regulation. Now, you and I know that a lot of times you start planning things like that, and it takes a long time. And, of course, Biden, whom I support, he said recently um, to the people who want to come to this country, please do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. And, of course, when you say legally, what's happening here in our country, in our in our city, system, it's really tough to get it done. It is really, really difficult. I think that this is one of those things. Um, our legal migration system is reformed. I mentioned you know, these different series of reforms. The major reforms to our legal migration system were done in 1990. Um, and they really have not had any, sense, uh, any major updates at all since that time. Um, so if you think about uh, people who want to come here reunite with their families. Well, the family-based immigration system hasn't changed since 1990. Um, people want to work here. We do have the H-2 programs that have been a, a key way for some individuals to come work here, particularly Mexicans. It's one of the reasons why you saw a decrease in uh, uh, you know, Mexican migration through the border between 2001 and 2011 because of the H-2A mm-hmm. program that I mentioned. Um, but the thing is that that system is 
severely outdated. And, and one of the reasons it's severely outdated is that you need a lot for to come here legally. You need a sponsor to, you know, for, for these different pathways where you're coming on a temporary basis or a permanent basis. Um, and that makes it really hard. And the process just can take years and years, particularly if you're looking at um, the green card system. So, you know, I think that when, when President Biden said, you know, stay where you are uh, and apply legally, if you're coming through the proper legal migration system, it's really difficult. So in some senses, the policy that he announced um, tries to create some of these legal pathways using the humanitarian parole program. And I think that right. that is something that is worth lauding because, um, you know, myself and, and some other people who sort of think in my school of thought and immigration policy is that you need different legal pathways that can give viable opportunities for people to come here through legal routes, through regularized routes and come here. Um, but you need to have them and make them viable because if folks don't think of a route is viable, um, and they're in a pretty tough situation, uh, you know, and, and they, they look at the situation saying it's, you know, maybe I just need to get out of here and because I have human rights concerns or economically I'm just not doing well, I need to leave. Um, and there's no viable pathway they're going to try to come here regularly. And, you know, I think what you're seeing with Venezuelan migrants and Haitian migrants in uh, 2021, um, or 22, excuse me, but the thing is, the, the key issue is that those folks are coming from South America and cross the Darien Gap, which is probably some of the most treacherous territory you'll find on this planet. They were willing to cross the Darien Gap to reach the U.S.-Mexico border. So that, I think, speaks to the desperation that people can feel. Now, whether or not you think they should be allowed in or, or you should have these pathways, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole debate. But the, at, at the end of the day, people certainly do feel desperation. And if you don't have a viable... Uh, legal routes for them to come here, um, they're just going to find ways to, to come here irregularly. And um, so I think this this idea of viable legal pathways is, is an, an important part of managing the border. Well, I, I really believe that the Democrats have been uh, here in our country, um, has really been working so hard trying to figure out a way to make this happen. And when you use words like humanitarian, humanitarian parole, to eligible migrants, immediately I go, what does eligible mean? You know, what does it take to be eligible to get that? Um, those are so many questions that we have in every country, whether it's Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, or Venezuela, are all still very different countries, correct? And their way of doing this is maybe different between all four. Well, that, that's where it, the question comes down to the, the requirements. So for this specific program, you, you know, humanitarian parole is a discretionary authority that the Department of Homeland and Security can use for different uh, purposes. Um, humanitarian parole was the key pathway that was used to evacuate Afghans as Afghanistan was collapsing um, in August of, uh, of 2021. Um, that was the way to be able to get them out of the country, provide them some temporary protection, um, and bring them here. Um, Humanitarian parole uh, is the program that was used, you, you know, when uh, the war in Ukraine broke out um, and Ukrainians were coming to the southern border seeking protection. Um, the administration, um, you know, released the United for Ukraine program so individuals who can get a sponsor. And that actually is the program that serves as the basis of the one that we're discussing today. Um, people who can get a sponsor, can get vetted, can get screened, um, were able can come to the United States for, for a two-year period. 
Um, and now we have this current program where, again, sponsor, um, who can sponsor you, you have to do proper vetting and screening. Um, but I think humanitarian parole is interesting because it does offer some flexibility in terms of adjusting to the different kinds of migration um, right. issues that were, that were. And like I said, the, the, the collapse of Afghanistan had nothing to do with our border. That was just simply an emergency situation that we need to get these folks out and provide them some protection and get them to the United States. So I think that the, this program or the, this approach is the, is the way forward. Is It's flexible. It's not perfect. And, and I, I hope that's exactly what it is because we need to move forward. And I'm so sorry that we are out of time, Cristobal. Cristobal Raymond, um, migration policy expert, thank you so much for joining us. I need an hour with you. I hope I can make <laughs> that happen. Take care of yourself. I look forward to talking to you again. All right. Thank you so much. All right. All right, coming up next will be Larry Jacobs, Director of the Center for the Study of Politics and Governance at the University of Minnesota Hubert H. Humphrey School and Department of Political Science. We'll be back. It is now 829 here at WCCO as we um, move forward in this conversation, um, this conversation with uh, Larry Jacobs. And uh, it's going to be an interesting one, talking about the Biden documents that have been found at his home and other places and you know, even Obama's name came up with some of the documents uh, that he would have had, that sort of thing. It's just all so crazy. I think, Jonathan, that our country is on the brink of breaking, literally breaking, not just in half, but breaking. We thought that that was going to happen during the insurrection. And, you know, after that happened, people were thinking, at least the people I know, we were saying, oh, my God, this is like the big, huge thing. No, there's constantly big, huge things that are happening in this country. Some we talk about, others we don't talk about. What are you expecting when it comes to talking about Biden with... Um... After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Larry Jacobs. Well, um, I know we did this before. We want to we want to try to give equal time on this. And we talked about this with Professor David Schultz, uh, this this same topic when it happened to former President Trump and the FBI searching Mar-a-Lago. And mm -hmm. so now the whataboutism is, of course, flying around and everything. And it's uh, th this – I think this needs equal time because now you're talking about not just a former president that's a candidate, but now the sitting president. So, yes, we uh, this this topic does need to be covered and it does need to be scrutinized. Um, I think you need to look at the nuance, and I, I think there are a lot of people that are trying to look at the nuance and a lot of people that aren't trying to look at the nuance. And so I think uh, Professor Jacobs coming on, he can give some perspective to 
what what do we do now in both cases? You know, with with President Biden, former President Trump, what do we do? And and I I don't know. I don't know how it's going to turn out. All I know is ugly, and there's something very hidden about it, and so it really bothers me. It disturbs me. It disturbs my spirit, and I have a problem with this. It is just constantly going on. It never stops. It never gets better. It's just constantly getting worse, well, and I don't understand that. Well, let me say this. Um, I think overall, I think there is a blame to go to the overall electorate because we – have elected and keep electing certain people into places of power where maybe they shouldn't be. And that and that's something that some in our psyche needs to change to to try to say okay who really deserves the position of power to lead the country. So what is what does that change look like smell like and when does it begin who's going to head that? Who's going to lead the way? If you're going after the former president and you're also going after the current president, where does it all, where does it stop? Your guess is as good as mine. Again, I think, I think it's something where it's, you've heard of that phrase, systematic problem. I think this might be a bit of a systematic problem, not necessarily in the process that we elect people or we get get people into positions where they lead, but finding and recognizing and uh, defining who is going to be that person to lead us. I think that's a problem right now. So many Americans don't trust any, any leadership. Period. None. None at all. They just they don't trust any of the politicians. I mean, it's just ugly. It's really ugly. And I don't know where we go next. How do we heal from this? I'm hoping that uh, Larry Jacobs can give us some insight on what he is seeing, what he is hearing, and he can maybe answer that question in some way. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. And as many of you have already heard, Larry Jacobs is joining us tonight. Who is he? He's the director of the Center for the Study of Politics and Governance at the University of Minnesota Hubert H. Humphrey School and Department of Political Science. He is joining us to talk about this. In August, the FBI's search of the Mar-a-Lago Club for classified documents made national headlines. And at the time, everyone talked about what former President Trump's possession of the documents meant for national security and trust. Now, those same conversations are happening after the story broke this week that President Biden had his own stash of classified documents from when he he was vice president, discovered at multiple locations, in fact, including his Delaware residence. And after these two instances and the concerns surrounding them, uh, are they really the same? And what does this mean for the current president? To discuss these questions, we asked Larry Jacobs to join the conversation. Again, he is the director of the U of M's Center for the Study of Politics and Governance, and we appreciate him joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. How are you, sir? Good. Good to be with you again. It's good to be with you again. This is deep to me, okay? I don't know how we're going to get past this because we are so divided here in our country. So let's begin with that. We have a former president and we have a current president, and we're looking at the same type of documents almost, right? And I'm just curious to know, what when you first thought about this, what did you think? Well, obviously, it's... Um I describe it as inconvenient truth. We don't actually know if they're the same documents. So far, what we appear to be looking at with Joe Biden are 
uh, briefing memos. This would be something like uh, an aide would put together information for Vice President Biden. This was back when the uh, Obama administration was in office, Mm -hmm. who would give him a briefing on a world leader he was going to meet with. With with, uh, Donald Trump, we were looking at the most classified uh, documents having to do with the nuclear capacities of other countries, the nature of our weapon systems, um, the nature of our uh, intelligence gathering. I mean, it's, it is the most highly guarded um, uh, documents. They're so important that they're actually numbered. So we're sure that only the people who are, who are you know, in a small group of maybe a dozen people are getting them. So they're very different documents. They're not the same, at least so far. And, and I want to emphasize that because I think we're in an early uh, stage. But and the other part, of course, is that that Donald Trump had over 300 documents, um, and Joe Biden, so far, it looks like it's about two dozen. Um, so yeah, it's very, very I remember hearing about that. So far. It sure doesn't sound like it's very different. It sounds as though President Biden is in trouble and uh, Trump, former President Trump is in trouble. And all of a sudden it sounds like the same thing. So what we say has a lot of power, right? And I'm just curious to know what happens now, now that we know how many documents there are so far for Biden and we already know how many documents there were for Trump. I don't know where we go from here. Take us on the, take us to the next movement where you see it's going to happen and you say, okay, this is the next thing we need to do, and that will lead to what? So what's happening now is an independent prosecutor. Um, uh, this was a prosecutor who worked during the, the Trump administration. Yes. Is going to, has been charged with conducting an investigation. And the first part of that investigation is to document um, and catalog all the um, classified documents that Joe Biden had in his house, in, a, in his garage, or in one of two offices. Um, and so that's step one, is okay. what are we talking about? Because at this point, I think a lot of us are, um, you know, grasping, both those who are, you know, see this as hypocrisy, and, and frankly, folks like me, who so far don't see a, a comparison. Um, then we're going to get into the second stage, which will be a determination by the special prosecutors to whether uh, laws were broken. Um, and that is going on with, with Donald Trump right now with regards to his documents. There's a, a special prosecutor, and they're going to be making the determination whether Donald Trump broke the law in the way he handled those documents. Okay, so to me, as soon as we knew that uh, President Trump actually had documents, I mean, they we could see them, they said classified on them, immediately I thought, okay, so this is going to move along pretty quickly. And it hasn't to me. It hasn't. And my fear, sir, is that Americans are no longer invested. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to know about it. You all go deal with it. Let the legal departments take care of it all. I want to know what we should do about it as, you know, as um, the, the, the community of people who vote that really care about something like this. What can we do? to help bring all of this to fruition, to help understand exactly what's happening, why it's happening, and when will it stop? Well, those are great questions. I think step one is to be informed about this. As I said, I I don't see these situations as comparable because of the number 
of documents because of the the security classification that they're stamped with, and frankly, because the way in which they were handled. As soon as Joe Biden's staff realized that there were some documents that were classified, they were immediately turned over to the Justice Department. Um, there was no there was no de, you know de, no delay in terms of the handling of those documents. With Donald Trump, we had you know a year and a half and multiple backs and forth, and um, it's possible that some of Donald Trump's lawyers are going to be facing uh, punishment because they misled the uh, Justice Department as to uh, the number and uh, classification of these documents. And in the legal world, that's known as malicious intent. Um, And that'll be part of what the special prosecutor. Now, let me just step back and say this. And I I realize this this may not satisfy a lot of people, but when you have a president and a vice president leaving office, it is a fast and chaotic process. They are in charge of running the government until 1159. And then the new team comes in. And in that process, it is a very quick um, uh, movement of documents. They're literally put in boxes and moved out. Um, And I don't know what happened with Joe Biden, but it's quite possible that one of these boxes was brought to his office. He knew nothing about it. Um, With with Donald Trump, we've already heard from some of his aides that that he was that the president was directing some of these documents to be saved. Now, last point I'd make is this is not unique to this time period, the mixing of classified and unclassified documents. All presidential records since 1978 are considered public record, public materials. And so we have had a, classif- a small amount of classified documents get mixed in with documents that will eventually be made available to the public and researchers like me. I've been to a number of presidential archives. Um, so I don't, I don't view this necessarily as nefarious or illegal. Um, there are a lot of questions about the way Donald Trump handled it, but you can go back in time and I think you'd find other presidents have had a small number of, you know, not terribly important classified documents like briefing papers that were mixed in in this rush to vacate um, the White House or the vice president's offices. You know, I have been asking and having conversations with people that I know and trust, and they're saying, hey, these documents must have been placed in these areas. They, they must have been at Biden's home and all, all of those places. They're saying these documents are showing up all of a sudden. They're saying, no, 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 somebody else placed them there. When you hear that, what do you say to America? What do you say to Americans who really, truly believe that? It's hard. I mean, what we know so far, and again, we need an independent investigation, is mm-hmm. that these were documents that um, Joe Biden's staff, and then when he left office, uh, the staff he had then were handling. There's no evidence so far that Joe Biden even knew about these documents right. until quite recently um, when they were brought to his attention. And he said, for goodness sakes, you know, to hand them over. Um, you know, it's obviously, as you said, an embarrassment. Um, and something that is going to be seen as, you know, all politicians do this. Um, I think they're very different cases. You know, I could, you know, here's an historic example. Before 1978, presidents took their private papers with them, including the, mm. the confidential ones um, and the classified ones. 
for Lyndon Johnson, he was terribly embarrassed about the way he'd handled the Vietnam War. And so he just took the incriminating documents with him when he left and took them to his ranch down in Texas. Um, and it was only with 1978, there was a law passed that said, no, the papers that presidents produce while in office actually belongs to the, the public. Um, and we still don't have a great process, frankly, for making sure that documents that are classified um, end up with the National Archive System and not, you know, whether by accident or, or deliberate, end up somewhere else. End up somewhere else. That's amazing. I'm so glad that you told the story of what has happened before because we um, don't necessarily know all of that. I I have a book about the Civil War, um, and I, I remember reading it thinking, my gosh, this is so much information. There's so much information we don't know just as the citizens of this country, and it keeps changing. The laws change. We, we change. Our leaders change, and it's really frustrating, sir, and I know you've heard that from other people, yet I keep saying to myself, when are we going to get to the point where all of this is finally going to stop and we can go forward as a country? So what is the next step? Well, I would like to see an impartial uh, set of hearings in Congress that uh, examines how the classified documents are treated at the end of a presidency. And I think we've seen with both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, um, cases where those documents uh, were not treated appropriately. And let me just emphasize, some of these documents, particularly the one that Donald Trump uh, had, had in this possession, are very important to our future. I mean, they're, they're about our, our safety. It's about, you know, how do we defend our country? Those are the kind of documents, some of which uh, Donald Trump had in his possession at his Mar-a-Lago um, retreat. So I, all this needs to be investigated, and I would like to see Congress update that 1978 law to make it more formal and more rigorous that the classified material is, um, is boxed up by the National Archives and, and stored in a secure facility. Secure facility. I don't even know what that means anymore, considering where we're finding uh, different documents. It really is quite remarkable what is happening in our country. And I must say, sir, having you uh, to talk about this tonight, I really appreciate it. Um, last question for you. As you move forward and um, investigating in, in your own way, reading as much as possible, hearing as much as possible, and giving out the information to those of us that really don't understand and don't know it, I just want to say thank you for that first of all. Second of all, I want to say that we need more civic classes to really deal with some of the things that are happening today. What I learned in civics in the 10th, 11th, and 12th grade is not what I'm seeing today. It's so different. And I'm wondering if you agree with that, that we have changed so many of our laws, changed the way we handle things, that it doesn't even feel like the same country to me. Well, I definitely agree with you about uh, civic education and um, a lot of those classes were phased out uh, because, you know, people wanted enrichment classes in the arts and people wanted, um, you know, more classes in science and, and math, you know, all of which are compelling arguments. But understanding how our government works is also compelling. And I think maybe the best example of that is some of the confusion over how our elections work. Um, and 
I'd like to see, you know, part of that civics education explaining um, what an election means, who can run, how the ballots are counted, the multiple checks on the ballots that are cast to make sure that the process has integrity. Um, and these things are not secret. It's, it's, it's part of that, you know, one of those worlds that's not known publicly, but exists and is very rigorous. Um, and it's, it's run by, I think, very honorable patriots. Well, Larry Jacobs, Director of the Center for the Study of Politics and Governance, we really appreciate you joining us tonight and having you on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Thank you, thank you, and I hope we can reach out to you again. Always. Pleasure to talk. You too, sir. Take care. Okay. All right, everyone, we're going to take a break and come back and wrap it up in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. My goodness, as we keep looking and, and trying to find out as much information as possible about what's happening with our President Biden and what's happening even with the former President Trump. Here's the thing. Um, of course, his press secretary uh, came forward and said, look, the bottom line is that our president did not know um, that these records were even there in his garage. And she went on to say that, um, you know, He's doing everything by the book. And it's frustrating to me because then you have all of a sudden the new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, comes on and says, well, you know, another faux pas by the Biden administration. Congress has to investigate this. It just blows my mind as though nothing they touch is, is the, nothing they touch stinks. You know, it's just ridiculous to me, Jonathan. And I know you probably are thinking a whole different way than I am, but it is crazy for me this is what i was talking about earlier when i said the process that we have for putting people in power may be a a good process may be a decent process but we're not vetting the people that we put in power well enough and we're not vetting what they do when they are when they get to power because case in mind George Santos. Oh gosh, let's not talk about him. I, I'm I just saying this is tonight. Right now, I, 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 know, I, know that, I know there are other <laughs> examples of it, but he right now is the poster child for us not doing a good job vetting our candidates and putting them into office. He's, that he's is a it. whole different conversation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think, I Thank think, you, Jonathan. I think a lot of it starts there, though. I really do. Yeah. Well, coming up next is Center Stage, all things arts and entertainment. We just believe you ought to know about it. We'll be back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.